Hi, everyone, and welcome. This is Seek Sustainable Japan. I'm JJ Walsh, based in Hiroshima, Japan. And today we are talking about Buddhism and crisis care and so many things beyond that. We have the pleasure of talking with author, scholar, researcher, and practitioner, also a meditation instructor. My goodness. Nathan, you do so many things. Thank you so much for joining the show. Oh, my great pleasure. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Now, your full name, Nathan Jishin Michon,、uh, your middle name is, has a special meaning. Can you tell us about it? Yeah, so that, that part is the more the Buddhist name.、Uh, and so Jishin is the character's G is. Um, for those familiar with Japanese, like from the word jihi,、um, means basically benevolence, <laughs>、um, kindness, that sort of thing. And shin is the word for the character for kokoro, meaning kind of mind and heart. Wow, beautiful. And originally you're from the US, is that right? Yes. Yeah, originally Michigan.、Um, so, by the, the Great Lakes, by Canada. But I also lived around seven years in California, about six or so years in Japan here, and a few other places in the world, too. <laughs> yeah, amazing. And you came to Japan on the Fulbright Scholarship, is that right? And you did your research. On crisis care in Tohoku area, is that right?、Um, yeah, earlier、um, I, I started. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of this kind of research was、um, more so at Tohoku University. And like you said, through the Fulbright.、Uh, right now I'm continuing、um, at Ryukoku University in Kyoto. And through the JSPS fellowship.、Yeah. And we, we had the chance to meet when I, I did a talk at Creative Mornings in Kyoto.、Yeah. And that was, that was so wonderful to have. It's such a nice, small group, wonderful place to connect with you. And I really feel, Nathan, that what you're doing with your book is what I'm trying to do with this show is to highlight the good work of many diverse. Different points of view in terms of how we can create better communities and a better planet, more in balance with our economic aims, which seems to take priority for modern life.、Um, how did you start getting passionate about this topic and reach out to people? Was it a coronavirus kind of COVID shutdown project? <laughs>、um, this particular topic definitely. Was and that's how it originated in a sense. I mean, to some degree, I, I have to at least maybe briefly step back because my interest in the field and the area definitely goes back further,、um, even to oh, I don't know, 15 years or so ago, I was in Europe、um, and studying. More peace and conflict studies, and interning、uh, with a, a wonderful organization there too、uh, in Romania called Patrir. And they would bring in a lot of people from、uh, like NGOs and the UN, even straight from conflict zones, and train people in nonviolent means、uh, for working with people in conflict. and So, there were a lot of people coming from very deep kinds of crisis <laughs> at that time who I would meet. And that was definitely a start of this deeper interest.、Um, but then I ended up transitioning more into chaplaincy and、um, also through chaplaincy, a lot of people work with those. In, Different kinds of crisis situations,、um, whether as a disaster chaplain, hospital chaplain, or any,、um, any of these different professional capacities. So,、um, 
had a big interest in both the care um, that occurs in those kind of situations, but also for people who work in these kind of environments and jobs and positions, um, those in itself can be very stressful types of jobs and those people need care as well. <laughs> um, any of us working full time in that kind of an environment um, also need the crisis care. So I think that's where the interests came about um, being among all these people. But yeah, as you said, um, COVID, I was actually set to come back to Japan and start this position. Um, but COVID hit and instead of coming in uh, mid-late 2020, like I originally planned, I was back visiting my family in Michigan and suddenly I couldn't get into Japan and um, sort of stuck in a bedroom for that time. I, I was like, well, just kind of in the bedroom here. <laughs> and I thought, well, what can I do at the moment? And through the research that I had started at Tohoku and other places, uh, I was meeting all these wonderful people doing great work, caring for people in crisis. And I thought, well, it's a period where we have a bunch of huge crises going on in the world. Maybe we can say something to that. And uh, so I, basically sent out an open-ended call for papers, um, contacted some friends and said, hey, would anybody be interested in contributing a, a volume, uh, contributing to a volume? And if you know anybody else, feel free to sit, pass this along. And so suddenly not just people I knew, but also people I didn't know. And as far as Hong Kong and other places uh, sent in some proposals and kind of brought it all together. So like you said, like you said, I'm um, as far as bringing in these voices, like I definitely don't have all the wisdom in the world by any means for how to care for so many people in different situations and from different perspectives, but I thought at least bringing a number of experienced people from different uh, paths of life. We could all contribute to putting together some volume. Yeah. And it, there's so many, like you said, there's people from around the world, also different uh, kind of sects or, or trains of thought or different yeah. parts of Buddhism. And you yourself have studied and practiced in different parts, different theories, different philosophies. Um, yeah. But there's still, even though these are divergent trains of thought, there's still so many commonalities. So there's so many connections between them and sure. between the crises too, even though the crises are so unique, right? Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Um, just in case people aren't, as aware of Buddhism, like Christianity and other large world religions, um, there's many, many different forms, um, <laughs> dozens and dozens and dozens of different types of Buddhism. So um, there are at least like more than 10 of those different forms of Buddhism represented in the book too. Uh, we have a comment from Natasha on YouTube. Nice to see you, Natasha. Uh, yes, caregivers need so much care. I'm a nanny and call mm -hmm. it getting my bucket refilled. <laughs> when you have to do self-care as well. It's so important so you don't burn out, so you don't yeah. have a secondary crisis or secondary, um, right? It's called in the book, uh, how you can take on other people's pain as your own and we, yes. we need to support caregivers to not burn out and keep going as well, right? Definitely. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a big issue in for chaplains, nurses, doctors, many of these fields where people are 
spending their entire days and days in day out um, thinking about others and other other people and yeah we all need to take that moment and care for ourselves as well and have those resources available to be available for us too yeah now you start the book in a really interesting way uh, you have this lovely poem uh written in the beginning and then your introduction is about your experience when you went to tohoku and you start with the idea of trust in in japan as you come through the station and there's nobody collecting tickets they just trust that you have a ticket you're going to deposit it yourself and then yeah. you you arrive at a place where people are going through this crisis and suddenly people are telling you and you're in a position and you say i'm not sure i was the best version of myself at that moment but you know quickly go back to your training start to listen active listening those kinds of things yeah, yeah. that's a, a really powerful way to start the book i love that <laughs> yeah and um just for reference that was right in the area that was most heavily most heavily hit by the 311 tsunami earthquake and so um it was the area with some of the most casualties and some of the deepest uh suffering that occurred during that period so even though i was there a number of years after it occurred it was still there were still people in temporary housing um, and even those issues when you've been in temporary housing for several years <laughs> there's other forms of stress that can pile on um, so it's yeah there were definitely of course people still in deep need of that kind of care and just community as well <laughs> And you, uh, hopefully we'll have time. I want you to read your section where you talk more about uh, this experience yeah, from the book. Sure. I think that would be awesome. Um, but it's called Cafe de Monk, which is a play on words. Can you yeah. explain that? <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I'll briefly mention already that it, it was founded by a, a wonderful Zen Buddhist priest uh, named Kaneta Tayo. And um if you ever have the chance to meet him or listen to him he has this amazing sense of humor and um, so it really comes out in this name as well and so monk of course in english is monk but in japanese monku means to complain basically so it's a place where you can come and complain about your life or what's happening in your life to the monks <laughs> or other volunteers there. Um, when Whenever I take guests uh, doing tours to Buddhist temples, uh, like Daishoin on Miyajima, they mm -hmm. have some of the statues with one big ear. And the monks told me that's where you can tell your complaints because <laughs> complaining in our society in your family is often really difficult because you're yes. making other people feel uncomfortable yes. so i i always say if you have a complaint nobody wants to listen you can always tell this statue <laughs> but i yeah. i love that idea of of you know the cafe de monk and having a place you can complain because it is important to talk about yeah. things you're worried about and things that bother you but think, in um, within reason, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I think maybe in general, but especially in Japan and especially rural northern Japan, it's not easy to talk about those issues like you were indicating, um, and especially to people who you don't really know. And so having this kind of cafe atmosphere um, where people can first just come and relax with some tea and coffee and snacks and where you can just first talk more generally 
then that helps to build the atmosphere where you can later, if something starts to come up, then you can go aside with someone and start getting into those details a little more. But um, really nobody is going to just, I shouldn't say nobody because it happened to me. <laughs> um, for the most part, it's rare that people would um, just suddenly open up about the issues going on for them. So that kind of atmosphere was really important too. But, but don't you find when that happens with people in times of crisis, it often surprises them that they suddenly told you, but it's, yeah. <laughs> it's deep inside and it's something they've been keeping down. And then yeah. you offer them a chance to talk about it and they just burst and release it. And it's it's healthier for them to get it out, but it sometimes takes you by surprise. Even the person doing it is surprised yeah. sometimes, right? Yeah. yeah, you can definitely hear that in some comments. Like Suddenly there might be a pause and suddenly they say, Oh, I can't believe I'm suddenly talking about all these things. <laughs> yeah. And Natasha said, Nathan, you have such a gentle and compassionate spirit. I feel it, it through the screen. It is such a comforting energy. Thanks so much for helping out such vulnerable people. I can't wait to read your book. Thank you so much, N Natasha. That's lovely. Um, let's give a little overview of the book. So, how did you separate the chapters? There are different themes uh, throughout the book. Can you introduce that? Yeah. Um, so the first um, is called Buddhist Approaches to Large-Scale large and Community Crises. So um, this might be maybe what people more often think of when they hear the word crisis. Um, but that can be large environmental disasters, um, things like that, but also bigger issues like um, racism and uh, gender, uh, LGBTQI plus discrimination on broader social scales. Uh, so a lot of these bigger forms of uh, social large-scale crisis and um, authors a different variety of authors touch on <laughs> a, a wide variety of these larger kind of crises but then part two gets a little more into the more personal level um, we call it sickness aging and death caring for life cycle crises and so these are things like issues with the dying process with the heavy sickness, grieving, uh, those kind of issues. And then part three gets more into what we started talking about and what uh, Natasha alluded to as well earlier, um, as far as caring for crisis workers and these different issues of self-care and caring for other people in these kind of professions and not even necessarily a profession, but um, as many people know, you might be a caregiver for a family member, things like that, um, which can also be a very heavy and taxing um, experience for yourself. And then finally, the, a shorter um, fourth section is just more on the training and education for these kind of professions. Um, so, that's basically how it's separated and organized. But um, in many ways, uh, many of the chapters also kind of touch on some of these different themes. Yeah, it's it's wonderful. And I, I think it's a I read it through once and I find myself thinking back on it at different times uh, during my day or even during guiding. And I go back and reread certain sections. So there's a lot there. Um, there is a lot of practical advice uh, talking about some of the training that you get um, as a Buddhist uh, monk or a practitioner or instructor of many different uh, philosophies, which is very useful, I think, for the reader as well. Uh, certain 
uh, key things to keep in mind as you're giving care, uh, those kinds of things. Uh, is there something that uh, you could you could teach us a little bit, like a short form, uh, if you are giving crisis care, a little bit of advice uh, for beginners? Could you give us a little instruction? Sure. Um, and maybe you can, I don't know, do a short reading or... Um, Sorry, I had to pause a bit because no, there no, are so many different sections. Yeah, there's, the there's a lot. There's um, a lot. Yeah. I, but maybe I'll turn to page 14 here on this for the section on spiritual first aid, um, which I especially borrow from. I'll um, shout out to Reverend Julie Taylor uh, from New York, actually. Uh, she was a previous uh, disaster chaplaincy services director. And so this, this section is in a sense, mostly just summarizing a lot of her work. Uh, but she introduces five basic stages for what we call spiritual first aid. And um, as a short prelude to this word uh, spiritual in this sense and the word spiritual care, especially for chaplains and disaster chaplains, any chaplains, uh, it's not necessarily meaning like specifically religious types of <laughs> care for people, uh, but in general, just uh, a type of deep, listening and being with people in a close way where you can, um, in a sense, it really just pay attention to their moment to moment needs and um, try to reflect on those and help them um, even realize and discover what their own needs might be in that moment. Uh, so it's very um, patient-focused or other-focused with the person in front of you. Uh, but these five basic steps for spiritual first aid in this sense are first just stabilization and introduction. Um, it, in many ways, People in a really, really in the midst of a crisis situation, in some ways, a lot, what a lot of people need is just sort of a pull to hang on to, uh, in a sense, a life, a lifesaver. If you think of like throwing a lifesaver out to somebody who might be drowning. Um, so just something for some sense of stability uh, in that situation. And so just trying to be calm yourself and through your own calm presence, give that person some kind of sense of stability and acknowledge um, the state that they might be in. And then try in some basic means, third step is just facilitating some basic understanding of what they're going through. Um, so could just be some basic questions about their state of being. And a fourth step, encourage adaptive coping. Um, so you might give a, a few little pointers uh, here and there, maybe, for example, from my perspective or in a lot of what people might present in this book, um, a number of breathing techniques, um, just to have some basic sense of calm before uh, just getting back to, again, some basic level of stability, at least. And then also referral as needed. Uh, so again, this is just a very kind of first aid type meeting, um, not in the physical sense of first aid, but this emotional 
spiritual sense of first aid. And so you might then refer somebody out to a psychologist, out to a nurse, out to uh, somebody else. Uh, but in these initial states, uh, people might not, of course, be ready to really explore what just happened. And so definitely don't push that in any way. Um, but just some initial processing of what went on and what they might really need. Because also some people might not even, uh, getting back to some of those early stages, people might not even realize that they are thirsty <laughs> in that moment if they're just coming from a heavy crisis. Do you need some water? Um, it, then somebody suddenly realizes like, oh yeah, <laughs> I'm thirsty. Um, other basic, especially in cases of natural disasters um, where people had to evacuate, then uh, one thing that can happen, sometimes people don't think about uh, necessary medications or things like that. And so some of the initial conversations on just what you might need in the moment, it's like, do you have all your necessary meds? And maybe they evacuated with an elderly grandparent and even just getting some meds for that grandparent might be some of those initial needs in the moment. So um, just these initial kind of first aid type things, helping people even realize what are their basic needs that they need to meet. It's such good advice and so important. And other parts of the book, you talk about that and uh, just listening, active listening. Also, don't uh, make promises. Don't yes. don't preach. Just yes. listen to where that person is right now in this moment. Um, but the concept of mindfulness, I think uh, you mentioned this in your introduction, mindfulness and meditation has been oversimplified in our modern yeah. <laughs> world and in the buddhism philosophy it's very complex these are many stages right. of mindfulness there are many stages of meditation um can you touch on that just a little bit yeah sure good question um like you said in modern society this word mindfulness it's it's in some ways overblown and in some way other ways very oversimplified. Um, so in Buddhist in Buddhist traditions alone, there's hundreds and hundreds of different forms of mindfulness, even. Um, but one issue also, um, actually, I'll I'll just try to touch briefly on these four issues that I even kind of relatively briefly explain in the book. Um, one issue is ethics. Um, in traditional Buddhist practice, mindfulness is very deeply ingrained with ethics and ethical forms of practice as well. So in my Buddhist tradition, we have what's called the Eightfold Path, for example. And right mindfulness is just one of these eightfold path. And you practice this alongside right speech, right thought, right action. And so there's a lot of ethical type of contemplation intimately baked into it. And when we divorce it from that, uh, there's a number of potential problems that can come up and it, we can even have and for example, some of these corporate forms of mindfulness where it might be um, just apply a basic type of mindfulness in order to settle you down just enough so you don't complain about your incredibly low wages in stressful conditions. <laughs> um, and we can have a number of these types of not really good forms of application of that. Um, so mindfulness isn't about just trying to cope with your most surface level of stresses to cover up the deeper forms. Um, it is ideally about 
facing um, when you can these deeper forms and exploring those as well. Um, what are the causes of suffering? Um, so a couple other issues that can come up. Um, sometimes mindfulness is presented, it's, oh, it's always a good thing. Um, everything, mindfulness, yay. Um, there, there can be negative times. It's not always, not, especially not every form of mindfulness is good in every time. Um, and being aware of these negative states of mind and what, um, how to deal with them as well. Uh, these are important things too that sometimes get lost in the popularization. Um, Another thing is on, on a broader social level, just sometimes the erasure of Asian history and contributions <laughs> to the field. And um, sometimes people only point to a big figure like uh, John Kabat-Zinn, who yes, popularized this more psychological form of mindfulness, but didn't invent. <laughs> the movement by any means and um, by only focusing on him or saying like, oh, this is the creator of mindfulness. Uh, we erase hundreds of years of social adaptation and use of these techniques and things. So um, there are some broader uh, racial and social issues in that as well. Yeah, and so it, it, there's so many great uh, examples of of how to apply mindfulness and meditation in your help of other people as well as your your help of yourself. Uh, but yeah, good to remember that our modern view of mindfulness and meditation is not not new, and it's not quite as yeah. simple as uh, we <laughs> often see, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I would love for you, I think it's a good time. We're right at the halfway mark. Uh, would you mind reading your section on your experience in Tohoku at the Cafe de Monk? Um, that would be a great chance to hear you read your section right now. Is that okay? Yeah, sure. Okay, go ahead. So this chapter is called Café de Monk, Kaneta Tayo, and the Mobile Deep Listening Café. <laughs> One step into a back room of Kaneta Tayo's temple reveals he is not your average Zen priest. Various guitars and other instruments line the walls, along with plenty of recording equipment. He will often incorporate music creatively in the services he provides to surrounding communities. Whether teaching the Dharma, counseling disaster survivors, or leading those survivors through community activities, he is creatively, he, his creativity and humor perform a playful tango around his heartfelt sincerity and deep presence with others. In many ways, the name of the movement he began reflects those traits, Café de Monk. The Japanese and nearly every syllable with a vowel sound, so the final word sounds more like monku than monk. In Japanese, monku means to complain, but in English, of course, monk can refer to an ordinary priest. The Café de Monk reflects this play on words as, quote, a place where those who need space to let off a little steam from their life can come and complain to the volunteer monks on hand." Unquote. Kanata also loves the jazz musician, Thelonious Monk, and incorporated him into the triple entendre of the cafe's name. His claim, he claims the loose and playful spirit of jazz guided their sense of the gatherings. Thelonious Monk's own, quote, complex here and there style fit 
the different emotions that people recovering from the trauma of a major disaster, unquote. He had no particular training in deep listening or counseling when 2011's Great East Japan disaster struck his home prefecture of Miyagi. His temple is in Kurihara city and survived with relatively little damage. But Kurihara is only about 30 to 40 miles inland from towns like Ishinomaki and Minami Sanniku, some of the areas hardest hit by the tsunami. In the immediate moments after the earthquake, all electricity in the region went out. Without any gasoline there, he could not leave that evening, and he was left to ruminate in the darkness about how the people in the surrounding areas were doing. He reflects, however, that in the following days, a long quote starts here, I began to hear about corpses and the coast, uh, corpses from the coast being transported to a funeral home near my temple because the crematoriums and funeral homes on the coast were destroyed. Um, trigger warning too uh, for any people um, concerned with deep death and death imagery. Um, if you need to mute for a moment, um, this is talking about <laughs> such issues. And so I continue on, um, this is again in his words. I thought so many bodies are coming. This is probably more than the Buddhist priests close to the coast can handle. I have to at least be with these bodies as they're cremated and help with the, with the memorial services. Thus, I began spending time with grieving families. The first two deceased individuals who came in were both fifth grade girls who I heard were good friends. My voice trembled as I tried to chant sutras for their funeral. I then continued to volunteer at the crematorium for the next two months, overseeing memorials for around 300 people. During that time, roads to the coast began to be gradually repaired, and I was able to see and comprehend the extent of the destruction myself." Unquote. As in many traditional Buddhist countries, in Japan, the 49th day after death is considered important for a spirit moving on. Kaneta joined a large interfaith memorial service on the 49th day after the disaster that included a Christian minister and priests from numerous different Buddhist traditions. They walked in a procession to the top of a hill overlooking the scene of destruction and chanted in a long line. The cherry blossoms had just begun to bloom during that time. He says the sound of the chants turned into cries and yet as that occurred, he could feel the lines between all their traditions fade away. Quote, in coming face to face with the sight of this tragedy, differences between our sects and religions had no meaning. I decided that the only important thing was to be with the, the suffering of the victims and face those truths together with them from whatever framework and understanding they stood upon, unquote. That experience helped inspire Café de Monk. This traveling café began with a small truck of supplies that ventured to different areas of the disaster-struck region. At first, however, there was not much deep listening and the people who came did little talking. The disaster vi victims they met were not ready or willing to open up to just about anything. It, especially in Japan, it is culturally uncommon to open up about your stress, anxieties, and traumas. As Kanata explains, quote, we don't want to trouble the people around us by complaining about our own lives, 
So there is a tendency to hold that inside, especially around people you don't know very well, unquote. At first, volunteer monks said things like, we are ready to listen to you. We'll provide mental care. Go ahead and speak about whatever you like. But people said nothing in response. Thus, they began instead simply saying, if you have the time, come be with us in a relaxed atmosphere. He made sure that volunteers never preached or spoke about sutra verses or asserted the benefits of Buddhist practice. Quote, we just tried to provide a comfortable setting where people could breathe and be in what way they felt they needed to be while we were available for support if desired, unquote. A cafe type setting with drinks and snacks allowed an informal way for survivors to start a conversation with volunteers who are on hand to listen and be with them. Then those who feel the need to go deeper into their experience can do so at their own pace and to a level that they are comfortable with. Kanata learned through experience to become a better listener and helped volunteers to do so as well. In order to create a space for listening, they first had to create a space that allowed for relaxation and loosening up. Thanks to the non-intrusive atmosphere, people gradually began to open up. Survivors who attended began to say things like, um, Reverend, would you mind talking to me for a moment about such and such? Though Kanata is quick to point out, listening to these stories could be extremely challenging. Uh, beginning of a longer quote. At times, especially when starting out, I was stunned into silence when an elderly woman talks about seeing their grandchild swept away. What can you say? There are some angry reactions. Numerous people asked me, who decided who lives and who dies? There is no easy response for these expressions. I still waver, but would say something like, you and I are both living and there is definitely meaning in that. Let's work together to find that meaning." Unquote. Kanata paid more and more attention to people's subtle expressions, little murmurs and slight facial movements. People sometimes say a lot without speaking, there is also plenty hiding behind the words they say, as Kanata points out, quote, even when a person says pain, again, this is in Japanese too, 10 different people uh, probably use that word 10 different, with 10 different meanings. Uh, there is a story behind each of these words to help truly understand what they are saying and to show them we are present. We have to listen to not only not only with our ears, but with our entire bodies." End quote. He points out that Japanese has two different characters to write listen, even though they are pronounced the same way. The first simply refers to the common uh, idea of listening through the ears, but the second, quote, means listening with all your heart and mind through the body. The sound that enters the ears carries not only information, but emotion, the way of speaking, the intonation, the subtle senses that surround it all. We have to observe those clues carefully to truly listen. It involves listening with all our senses and our entire bodies. With this, we can't get to the, sorry, without this, we can't get to the heart of what they are trying to convey. Unquote. Café de Monk, however, is not always a somber place. Quite to the contrary, it is peppered with humor. Kanata believes that humor is important in times of sadness and suffering. The play on words and the very name of the café tried to lighten the mood from the get-go. Longer quote. I, 
I like to play with words. One of the ways to refer to Buddhist priests in Japan, bozu, has the same pronunciation in Japanese as the popular music speaker company, bozu, <laughs> making a little making little jokes while playing with words in the conversations helped to lighten the mood and loosen people's tension. Of course, you also have to be careful with humor. If you are perceived as making light of another's suffering, you can make their wounds cut even deeper than they already are. We have to also be careful not to assume that a joke that works in one situation will work equally well in another. But by reading the room and the atmosphere, it can be a great tool to loosen the tension in the air. Viktor Frankl once said, humor is another of the soul's weapons in the fight for self-preservation. A good joke can actually connect to and sympathize with a person's pain. I think that humor done with deep listening is born in and for, is born in and for the present moment as an art of improvised love, unquote. Humor was, not, humor was only one tool to help make a space for people to relax and settle down. Volunteers served complimentary cakes and snacks, coffee and tea. They sometimes gave away donated flowers and art to brighten people's new shelter abode. They played music, sang karaoke, and performed traditional group dances. There was a masseuse. They baked potatoes together. Other activities were related to traditional spiritual beliefs. In Japan, the Bodhisattva Jizo is thought to protect loved ones in the afterlife, especially children. So during some of the early Café de Monk setups, they helped people make their own miniature Jizo statues to honor the loved ones they lost. Volunteers also regularly helped people make their own prayer beads uh, called juzu in Japanese. Everyone ate and drank at tables together because all attendees experienced the same disaster. There was some sense of camaraderie and community while joining with others during these gatherings. This was important to prevent the sense of isolation that many felt after losing their homes and neighborhoods, especially at as time went on, the danger of depression and suicide continually increased as some individuals and families had to live for years in temporary shelters. So we hoped, Kanata says, that these temporary cafe spaces could help bring some new sense of community to those in need of personal connection, unquote. Although Café de Monk began as just several people and a truck traveling around a disaster zone, the need helped it continue to grow. They, hel they held regular meetings in community centers at shelters for displaced people. When other disasters occurred in Japan, people began setting up Café de Monk there as well. Now there are even a few permanent establishments that bear the name within elderly homes and hospices. No matter the setting, the drinks, snacks, and atmosphere help people to settle down enough to express what's inside. And when they are ready, volunteers are available to listen with their entire being to the issues at hand. Thank you so much for reading that, Nathan. That was amazing. Um, so Nathan was just reading a section of the book, his book, uh, Refuge in the Storm, um, about your experience at Café de Monk and talking with the founder there. That was so powerful. And I think so, so many parts of it, many of us can connect to. Uh, Paul says, this is powerful. Thanks for sharing this experience from the book. Uh, Sarika says namaste from Jaipur, India. Thanks for joining from LinkedIn. Yeah, just amazing. And it's, you know, having, giving people the opportunity to talk with Cafe de Monk, that's, that's the first important step. Just being available to listen is mm -hmm. really important first step in crisis care, right? 
Yes, exactly. Thanks so much. Was it the first time you've read that, like to the public? Um, yeah, I think reading out loud <laughs> the whole thing. Yeah. Thank you for the opportunity. Of course, <laughs> of course, that was amazing. Uh, I often like to listen to audiobooks, and especially if it's read by the author. And I think you you can add so much in the way that you read it, which brings back the memories for you, but also, of mm. course, for the listener as well. Um, for the last 10 minutes, I'd like to talk a little bit about uh, deep ecology, because we're in this talk show, we're talking about sustainability. Yeah. And of course, crisis care is so much about a developing community, supporting people. That's a big part of sustainability, of course. But in the book, you yeah. also talk about Buddha ecology. Uh, <laughs> can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, yeah, sure. And I guess on that note, I should... Um, give a shout out to Victor Gabriel. <laughs> um, and again, this is in, in many ways, not really my book, but the book of many people and many people's stories and experience. And so this particular section uh, was written and shared by Victor Gabriel, who is um, a Singaporean American professor of Buddhist chaplaincy at University of the West in Southern California. Um, but where, of course, there are also numerous forms of um, natural disasters <laughs> occurring, and this issue of deep ecology becomes very, very big. Um, and so... so uh, just to give you a little time while you set up. Um, so when I when I take people on tours, uh, Buddhist temples and shrines in Japan, Shinto shrines, the connection to nature is always embedded in the deep philosophy of, of why and how these temples and shrines are set up. It's such an important connection for visitors as well as the, the monks who are doing meditation and, and uh, different ceremonies for people. Um, in different parts of your book, Nathan, you have different mm -hmm. people talking about the greening of the self, the Buddhist and environment, the ecology, the deep ecology. Um, and there's so many wonderful lessons when we think about being part of nature, not just being stewards of nature. I found that part really powerful. Yeah. Um, and I <laughs> I think I'm struggling I, in some ways. I'm like, oh, how to summarize all this in a nutshell? <laughs> there's, there's too much. There's too um, much. But in some ways, just briefly, like you indicate, there there's a lot of emphasis just on the the interbeing of um, ourselves with all of the nature around us, and um, not just humans and nature, but all the animals, all the other forms of life and um, how integrated all of our decisions uh, truly are, all of our lifestyles and, but also these deeper issues, um, economic, social, political, uh, technological, and how all of these all deeply interplay as well. Um, so many different dimensions to that care and on a, on a level of care, how this environment and sustainability issues um, also deeply connect to ultimately the way that we need to care for others. Um, going through these different experiences connected to the larger environmental crises going on. Yeah, and it's it seems like a recent problem, but of course, throughout history, we've always had uh, worries and uh, concerns about the environment. Of course, it seems worse yeah. than ever now. Um, in the in the book, you you touch on Kukai and Dogen. Uh, two of the most famous, Japan's most famous Buddhist teachers. 
Um, of course, uh, talking about Kukai and the creation of the pilgrimages around yeah. Japan. And that is a chance to take time to walk slowly from temple to temple and really experience the activity of being in nature as well as praying at temples and everything. So there's so many connections throughout history in yeah. Japan and around the world, right? Yeah, I mean, you can so feel it directly when you walk through or have some experiences in Japanese Buddhist temples, Shinto shrines. Um, this connection to nature runs very, very deep. I, I remember doing a part of the Shikoku pilgrimage and I heard one of the monks, Monku, uh, a little, little complaining himself, but but you see it in tourism, and and I, Nathan, I know you're interested in more meaningful tourism as well. But one mm -hmm. of the complaints, he didn't mean anyone to hear this. He was talking to another monk, and he was saying, "I just wish people would realize when they do a pilgrimage, it's not just about coming to the temple, making your chant, getting your stamp, mm -hmm. and leaving. It's more than that." And so yeah. I was like, yes, preach it, you know, this more meaningful travel, even for something that seems like everybody should get how meaningful it is when they're doing yeah. a pilgrimage. Some people still treat it a little bit too superficially, right? Yeah. And I mean, just to emphasize the deep sense of that meaning in many pilgrim, many pilgrims around Japan, you'll see wearing all white. Um, which is a traditional funerary color in Japan. And the meaning in a sense is you are dying through that process and being reborn in, a, in this sense, going through a full transformation, um, like a full, so that I, I feel just, runs home the deep meaning of this personal transformation that is meant to be taken place through the act of personal um, pilgrimage. And yeah, there are many people in Japan who engage it, even if they're not in any way considering themselves Buddhist or religious, but uh, either for a form of self, um, for self grief care um, or deep contemplation about an issue they've been going through, they'll go on such a pilgrimage and take this long journey. And so I think that's like that monk indicated also related to these forms of care. It's not, it's not just checking the box. It's not just being, yeah. <laughs> doing the task. It's, it should be deeper. And I think that theme runs through your book with all the different experts talking about their insights as well. It's, it's what you make of it, right? It's not just ticking the box. It's not just what you say or what you do. It's, it's deeper than that. So uh, we have just a couple more minutes. I want to mention uh, if you're interested in what Nathan's talking about and uh, other people in the similar philosophy, similar field and teachings, uh, there's a fantastic webinar coming up. Uh, Nathan, can you introduce the webinar? Yeah, sure. And actually, since you brought up Deep Ecology, um, the author of that section will be there that day. Uh, you can hear directly from him. Uh, and this will be a four-part webinar over the next several months um, sponsored through Harvard Divinity School, and it's completely free to register for. Um, it, it, I'm sure if you do a Google search, it can also come up, but um, if you look for this poster on our social media, there should be QR codes on that poster as well visible. And we'll have at least a few of the uh, authors represented who can speak directly about their own wisdom and experiences and uh, care and dealing with, uh, in this first part, the larger scale and community crises going on. Yeah, it looks amazing. Um, and it's free to join. You just have to make sure to pre-register so that you can get the link uh, to join in the Zoom, I believe. Yes. 
Yeah. Yeah. And it should also, if you register and you don't have time during that specific time period, um, just by registering, they will send you the recording later too. Yeah, fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Nathan. It's been wonderful talking with you and hearing you read from your book was really special. And I look forward to hearing more at the Harvard webinar uh, coming up on the 20th of this month and following that series as well. Um, but I hope you'll come back on the show and we can talk more about slow, meaningful, sustainable travel. Uh, you're based in Kyoto. There's so much to talk about there uh, yes. <laughs> as well. Thank you again. Thank you for having me and for all of the voice you give to so many people doing amazing things around Kyoto and the rest of Japan as well. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> uh, people like you keep me going. And also to all of you listeners, thank you so much for your comments and uh, questions today. Thank you for joining us live. And if you're watching the replay, you can always add your comments and questions below. And Nathan and I will try to respond as well. Thanks, everyone. Have a great day. Thank you, Nathan. Thank you. You are.